everybody. Welcome to episode number 266 of Video Game Apocalypse. I am the returning co-host you never asked for or knew you wanted, Matthew Allen, who's here with me in the Michael Rapares Memorial chat room. 38th anniversary collector's edition, Chris Antista. And you don't have to say that, Matt, because... No, never mind. Never mind. I'm bailing out on that joke. You can totally leave this in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess that's where I come in. Uh, also, Elena Yi, who never can think of anything good to go with her name. So, hi, I'm back. Leaner, 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 morphing ball on Twitter. That's me. There you go. Uh, so as a reminder, for these interim episodes of Vigigame Apocalypse, each week we'll be choosing a topic, doing a top five based around that topic. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about dormant franchises that made a comeback. The reason I picked this topic, um, not too long ago, a few weeks back, uh, as of this recording, Bethesda... Had said they had a, a pretty big announcement, and turns out they had announced Rage 2, which, okay, that's fine and good, Rage 2. The little game that nobody liked, Rage The, the little game that nobody <laughs> asked for, sort of. Like, it was like, yeah. oh, oh, cool. Yeah, Rage 2, sure, cool. Which I, I, I um, really did like the reception to it, because Rage didn't, it didn't, like, hit the top of, like, the meta review scale. But it's it's so the opposite of a bad game, um, and it's it was pretty ambitious, and it just didn't make the big splash that everybody wanted. But it's like it's sort of the perfect series to get another shot. Yeah, true. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's not a bad game. It's not a bad series or anything. It's just something that when that first one came out, I don't think it made a big splash. And typically in games, that means sort of the franchise won't get off the ground. It won't be a franchise. It, it, I just assumed it was sort of a one and done. So it was surprising to see the announcement. Um, the other thing that also sort of inspired this list is the seeming success. And as of last time I checked, uh, the critical success of a little YouTube series called Cobra Kai, nah. which is the return of the Karate Kid franchise, which as of last time I checked was at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Have you, have you heard about this series, Leaner? Have you heard about it? <laughs> I, I actually watched maybe the first 10 minutes of the no. first episode. I thought you were going to say episodes. Like, that's all there is. Yeah, no. I think that might be more than one. <laughs> no, there's more than one. Um, okay. I just, I, it was kind of moving a little slow and I gave up on it. No, no, no. Hey, hey, that's my only complaint about the series. I think this would have made a really badass movie, but they do take their time. However, like, I was the, I'm a recent karate kid like i watched karate kid like four years ago i'm like what i mean i've seen it before but it wasn't like a movie that i loved and then i watched it I'm like this is fucking charming this is really good and ralph macchio is really charming in it and the, i heard they were making a new series i'm like nobody wants to fucking see that this is nostalgia gone too far and then you read a little bit about it it's like oh this is centered around the villain and he's still kind of a villain fucking but also like ralph macchio sucks and it's super successful and rubs it in Johnny Lawrence's face. Holy shit, this is a really decent concept for a 30-year-later follow-up. And it was I watched the first three episodes. It was incredibly compelling. Not compelling enough to sign up for YouTube Red. But... <laughs> but yeah, that, I, that's the only thing is, is I... Uh, once, once you hit that paywall, you go, mm, I like what I've seen so far. I don't know if I want to make that kind of commitment. Yeah, but at some point, I'm sure it'll be in my face somewhere. And I'll, I'll check out the rest of it. But I was like... 
way taken aback with how intrigued I was with the premise. Like I actively didn't want. And I think, and I know rage is getting a little bit of that too. Like who the fuck asked for, who asked for this? Did did someone have nude pictures of somebody at id? Like, why are we getting this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just one of those things where it's like, Hey, we have the IP. Uh, Someone might have a good idea. So whenever I have a good idea, happen, you can finally play with a light gun like you could on Breaking Bad because I don't <laughs> yeah, know why that right. happened. That was oh, that was this game. That's totally right. I forgot about that. The non-existent um, light gun mode that Jesse uses as he uh, <laughs> goes through post-traumatic stress disorder. God now, remind me, it, was Mr. that a light White. gun with the CRT or was that with an LCD? No, nah, bitch. It was a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was it was with a regular television, but just just a cheesy orange light gun that like. Who even sells these light guns? No game supports this. How did Rage well, get I was in saying, here? I mean, because light guns don't work with LCDs. Like they only, that technology is exclusive that's, to CRT. That's right. Because we were just talking about that somewhere that I, I reviewed like Time Crisis 4 or 6 that like literally had the same setup as a power glove because the, the screen doesn't read the gun con anymore. So you had to just set up three sensors on your television. Right, right. You have to. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, yeah, sometimes when these franchises, these dormant franchises come back seemingly from the dead, uh, the results are really good. So Chris and I were talking about uh, a recent example of that. And Michael Rapars and I did a spoiler cast entirely dedicated to God of War. That is a franchise that no one everyone thought was sort of done like the story had been told. Um, I, I I not only thought it was done, I was willing to bury it in the previous generation. Right. I, I yeah, thought, people I thought, were sort why, of tired of it. Why just bother it with for it? Dead. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, they, this game's just called God of War. I'm like, just just get over it. Don't reboot this stupid fucking series. And it's not a reboot at all. It's a continuation of this, I don't know, kind of dumb story. I don't want to trash God of War, but it was just it, like that in Gears, I'm happy to leave to pleasant memories 10 years ago and not reboot right. it a lot. But the results were fantastic Amazing. for a game that we didn't know we wanted. It's It's it is game of the year contender material. Now, that's not always the case. Some games like Tony Hawk 5, for example, uh, come back and they don't have such great results. Or are contained on the disc that they come with. <laughs> that's <laughs> also very true. Yes. So as always, I'd like to just lay down some ground rules for our top five so that there's no confusion of what we're talking about. So first rule, uh, this can't be a franchise we all know will come back eventually or that the developer or publisher has sort of acknowledged is still active. So that dis- uh, disqualifies things like Splinter Cell, Halo, even Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, act- or Ubisoft years ago said that game was coming. It was a it was a matter of is it canceled or not, but so that that does not qualify. Um, what about like a, a to, what about a re remaster of Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from Butcher Bay? So remasters again do not qualify. Although Glad I, I will say remasters are usually used as testing grounds to see if they should bring a series back. So it's no coincidence that Burnout Paradise and I think La Noire the remasters came out. I think that's to see what's going to happen with sales and maybe there not. might be a return of those. That's I my do guess. not. But I do. I only think that for one remaster uh, series, Shadow the Colossus 2. Please look forward to it. Mm. This E3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that studio is known for making sequels, sequel after sequel. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, the other rule that I want to lay down is it has to have had a game released. So 
there are some lots of great examples of rumored games that have just not been confirmed. So there's a, a rumor, almost 100% guaranteed, Crash Bandicoot is coming back. You know, they did the remaster, uh, but there will be a new one, probably 2019, 2020. That seems to be the word on the street. Sort of the same thing with Spyro. Um, and then the other rumored games that it just comes up every E3 is Skate. Everyone just wants the next Skate. Mm. Um, so those don't qualify. Uh, announced games that are unreleased, such as Shenmue 3. Shenmue 3 would be a great example if that game ever comes out. Shenmue 3 would make the list. But mm. it's not out yet. So we can't we can't put it on here. So, yeah, those are the ground rules. Um, how right, about so, this? Wait, so it has yeah, to be go a good game like we think that there's like potential mm. for it to be actual game of the year material doesn't need to be good just needs to have been released but usually i would i would say uh pretty much and then let me just double check all the games on my list yeah they were good okay yeah, so we're it's, good it's, here. it's the best who asked for this sequel or follow-up okay. games how about how about just games you never knew you wanted mm. okay that's fair because i was about to ask like is this like a duke nukem forever situation <laughs> Oh no! No, no. Well, that's but that so that would be disqualified because that was in development. Hell, we all knew was coming. So that that but did is we know it was coming so, vaporware for a long time. One of the options that I wanted to put on here, but Michael quickly pointed out, is sort of doesn't qualify. I was going to put Far Cry on here because mm-hmm. I felt like after Far Cry two, yeah, you didn't really hear about Far Cry a lot, and Far Cry three was almost a surprise, but he did point out it was only like four years between two and three, it, although it just it, sort of felt it like It felt longer, like a long time, and, and there was a bunch of weirdo spinoffs like ported to different sy- systems with right, different names. Right. right. And some of these have had spinoffs, but I will tell you almost every game on our list, there is a substantial block of time, like at least five years between entries where you just didn't hear anything. It was just, it was radio silence completely. So, I can think of one yeah, we that, talked that, about that, last Those are week. the ground rules. All right. Let's see if we will all be back right after this break. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Because like now you're seeing like, I don't know, how can I say this and not sound too mean? Sanctimonious people who want to claim first on when they thought Roseanne was bad? We knew about this for a decade, like... No, we didn't. No, I watched not a clip really. from her from a, a talk show in like uh, 2012, and she was talking graciously about Barack Obama. Well, and now it'll be interesting to see how it breaks the other way. Like, who's going to come out banging the war drum on her behalf? Oh, I can't. Know? I don't think yeah. you can do that for this. Oh, uh, and I, every time we say something like that, we are proven wrongs. That happened on my Facebook. Like an ugly Trump supporter made a very similar comment, mm. and everyone was like. Okay, buddy, that's too far. Way too far. And he's like, no, it's just a joke. I'm like, well, here's what I'll do. I'll screen cap your joke, and I'm going to post it on your page so your friends and family can read that <laughs> just like mine had to this morning. Um, and he, he deleted it. And it was this great, why wasn't the joke didn't work when it was on your page? Huh? Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, and then also a great move to that is, oh, really? I don't get it. Tell me, what's the joke? <laughs> Tell me why explain, explain to me why it's And funny. I love Planet of the Apes. Believe me, I'm your audience and I didn't get it. 
Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Thank you, fine folks, for listening. Hope you're not too bored. You know what the perfect solution is for being bored and always has been? Goddamn video games. <laughs> That's why this episode is brought to you by Gamefly. And just so you know, you listeners can go to GameflyOffer.com slash LazerTime and get started with a free 30-day trial of the service. What is Gamefly? It's like Net- it's like Netflix, but for games, you should know that by now. You create a queue. They ship out uh, two to three games to you. It's up to you. You play them for as long as you want, ship them back, and they'll just keep on shipping stuff from your queue. This is a great way to save money on not only playing a bunch of new releases, a bunch of old releases, because not only does Gamefly have over 8,000 titles ranging from PS4, Xbox One, Wii U, PS Vita, they go all the way back to the original Wii, the original Xbox, PS2 in certain cases. I know, right? And to sweeten the service even more, Gamefly allows you to buy a game back. Have you kept it out for a long time? Do you want to just keep it? Are you that settled into the multiplayer? You can buy that game back from Gamefly at an extremely reduced cost, and they'll send you the box and manual as if you purchased it anywhere else. Once again, you don't have to take my word for it. You can get started with a 30-day free trial for yourself by going to GameflyOffer.com slash LazerTime. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show 302010. Here's a clip from 1998. You can picture a three-way argument with uh, me, Sarah, and Diana waving fingers at one another. (laughs) We are arguing over whether the boy is mine. And it truly is ours. Uh, Brand, uh, Brandy and Monica. We got something like 14 weeks of, of this song being number one. It goes on forever. But there's also some new releases in the, the land of 1998. June 1st through the 7th. Gloria by Gloria Stefan. If you see her by Brooks and Dunn. MP to Last Dawn <laughs> by Master P, which, no shit, just upstairs, yeah. Sam a- actually activated my talking Master P doll, which <laughs> has slowed down to such an extent. He used to say, uh, na 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 na, and Sam accidentally hit his button, and it'll go on for like five minutes of like, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he had to take him into another room. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. It lasted minutes. That doll is haunted. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on LazerTimePodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. What, Chris? Uh, the games that were the gamesiest game releases that have ever gamed. Uh, I'm, don't ask me to phrase this. We had a problem with it like right before the break. <laughs> These are the top five franchises we never knew we wanted that were dormant that came back unexpectedly I, and surprised us. And, and for me, I can't tell you how much God of War is one of those things. I would never... When we were talking about it, like... I don't want to get God of War fans pissed off, but hey, 
Ascension, Ascension bored you into indifference. Like, no one really was asking for a new God of War. And then it just... It no, that's true. It totally yeah. changed what the series was known for. And still, it, it leaned on it leaned on its old storyline and certain hallmarks of the series, but it turned it into something that I really wanted to play, and it was not that before. I thought it was a yeah. pretty pretty yeah. dull hack-and-slash game. A very, like, a very well-presented, tiresome hack-and-slash game. And once, mm. once I saw the strings, I couldn't really enjoy the series anymore. But this new game is astonishing i didn't get to be on the spoiler cast and i'm not done with it (laughs) okay i won't i won't spoil things Mm -hmm. uh but i will say no i think the key to this new game success is they did have to completely reinvent the wheel and go back and it's a totally different type of game than the others now granted there are connections and like you said it's a continuation of the story it's not a reboot um but the game itself is not just your the old third person semi-isometric you know action view or whatever it's it's over the shoulder third person the combat's different and, and that you know that is a big key to a lot of a few of the games on this list i, we I can't will find every is, time is I that's play the it, key to them coming back every time mm-hmm. i play it i can't get over that it's like it has the some of the things i like about the combat in monster hunter and dark souls but turned kratos into this the same way i felt playing re4 this like over the shoulder like this really works how come no one hit upon this before actually re re7 i think mm-hmm. would be a great example if there weren't so many of those interim offshoot weird spin-off resident evil games re7 would probably be a good candidate for this list because mm. re7 was a while after six and completely had to redefine what a Resident Evil game was. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful. It was it was one of my favorite games of last year. It terrified the hell out of me, but I loved it. I, I still need to play it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, that gotta, is, that's a that must. PSVR. Play it like that. Oh, no, I couldn't handle it. I tried even they had the demo of PSVR, which is like the kitchen demo where you're you're tied to a chair and this girl comes up behind you and kind of covers your eyes with her hands. And at one point, I mean, I'm, I'm spoiling a demo, so I'm sorry. But at one point, she stabs your leg. What? And even knowing that is not my leg, I flipped the fuck out. I ripped the headset off and I, I got out of the room. I noped out. I was like, nope, I'm done. Nope. <laughs> I watched my friend on wow. PSVR nope the fuck out in the last Guardian demo. Because... <laughs> When Trico, <laughs> what? When Trico what? sticks his face like right in your face and like everything gets super loud, it was like it was in front of his kid too, and he's just screaming, "Fuck shit, fuck!" <laughs> and, like, I, well, I think that VR, if you're up. claustrophobic, that's a huge problem for some people because it totally. really is, yeah, like right up in your face. That's sort of why I want to do it because like it's kind of hard for me to play any VR game at length that isn't Dead Hungry. But uh, I, I did enjoy what I've already played of RE7 without the VR. So I'm going to force myself into an uncomfortable situation or what I'd like to call an unforgettable experience. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. Mm. So speaking of unforgettable experiences, how about we talk about our first entry on the list with number five. Any idea what we just listened oh, to, folks? Oh, I know anything. I, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I have the same feeling. Uh, you want you want one more hint? Uh huh. <laughs> Would it surprise you if you heard 
Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is what I would call a surprise entry on the list. I didn't think of this, but again, this was another Michael recommendation. Uh, so of course, we are talking about the Metal Gear franchise featuring. This is Snake. Kept you waiting, huh? Damn right you kept us waiting. Farting, and so a yeah. lot of people wouldn't think of, what do you mean? Metal Gear's been around forever and it's always been around. But actually, no, the first Metal Gear game, and we actually, that wasn't, what we just heard was the NES version. That wasn't the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first uh, Metal Gear game came out in 1987 um, and was released for the MSX2. Uh, so Kojima wasn't involved with the NES port, but that was that was the one most of us played. I uh, feel the, asleep. It's it's the first dialogue balloon you see. (laughs) I I feel asleep. I feel asleep. He also, and like, even if you spelled that correctly, you're still announcing to the jungle that you fell asleep. Never do that. Mm. Not Mm. even just spies, tigers, and shit. Don't don't yell it. (laughs) So the and actually the history of this title is, is really interesting. There is an entire episode of Retronauts dedicated to it, which does a much better job. But I will just say this. So Kojima wasn't originally the director on the on the project. He was asked to take over from, as, um, from a senior associate. And basically, hardware limitations kind of hindered the development of the game's combat. And they were having trouble figuring out how to create this action game. And so instead, Kojima reworked it. And uh, he was inspired by movies like The Great Escape. And mm. that is why we ended up with the signature kind of uh, stealth gameplay in the franchise. It was really just, hey, how do we make combat fun? Well, how about we try to avoid combat? Um, but that was the MSX version. Kojima wasn't really involved with that NES port. And actually, he criticized it in the past because it, if you've played through that game, it kind of ends it, it, it kind of with a fizzle. There's no end boss. There's, there's other things missing. And I think when they did the remade versions that were included on some of the newer Metal Gear games, they added some stuff back in and it, to to more align with his original vision. I, I believe the best version of that game came to Game Boy Color. And it was a mm. it was a completely reworked version of the original game, but with some of the fundamentals it had learned from the Solid series. So like it's a mm. pretty good sprite-based 2D Metal Gear stealth tactical espionage game. Oh, nice. Well, so then Konami did produce a sequel in 1990. Snake's Revenge. But that was, again, without Kojima, and that was Snake's Revenge, yeah, which, ugh, cringe. Ugh. Um, and then, <laughs> but while that was being made, one of the game's designers kind of met up with Kojima and said, hey, you should create the, the real Metal Gear sequel, uh, according to Kojima. And then we got Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, which was released in Japan in 90, again for the MSX2, though. Um, so there's here's the thing, though. <laughs> Konami's always been game- betting on the right horse. <laughs> so here's the thing since 1990 there was a huge break until the metal gear game and that's why right. it makes this list the game didn't appear again until 1998's metal gear solid uh, kojima went off and he went off to do a lot of other things and really kojima has always he's always styled himself as more like a hollywood type and so the kind of games he went off to do were were much more cinematic you know so in 88 he started working on snatcher and then he did um, SD Snatcher, so which is you know on better tech. Uh, Standard and so definition, really focusing... finally. Right, right, and then <laughs> and then he did a remake actually in '92 uh, for CD-ROM to make it even more cinematic. And then he had Police Knots in '94, um, and then he also did a kind of a series of visual novels. And so he was he was really out there playing around with storytelling and more, much more kind of cinematic things versus just oh I'm just developing games. It wasn't until he came back to Metal Gear in 1998 um, that really the series got going again. And then after that, it took off 
and didn't stop until, well, maybe it stopped now after this year's release of Metal Gear Survive. We, I'm we playing Survivor right Gear. after this. Or Survive, my bad. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's, um. I mean, but but starting in 98, you had Solid, you know, and, and so we got to get reacquainted with, uh, with Snake and friends, you know, um, including, I. it would not be a uh, VGA mm-hmm. if we didn't discuss Metal Gear and I didn't get to play this clip. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back. I was nodding off for a second. As I was telling you guys before we started the show, I, I have relatives that make free with such noises and it doesn't really seem, you know, unusual to me. That is the most prim well, and proper you've sounded the whole time. Wait, it's not unusual. So are they in the barrel while they're doing it as well? <laughs> Just sitting in their own filth. I have ancestors who make wind on occasion from time to time. Uh, so yeah, Metal Gear though it was it took a huge break between versions and then came back on the list and then of course with Metal Gear Survive I I think at this point we might be able to do this this noise might be playing for the series. Yeah. Snake, snake, snake. Such a cool thing to hear for the first time and and that's I can get nostalgic on this in a billion ways, but to me was we were talking. Me and my retro game friends were talking about this a little while ago because obviously there's the retro angle of I remember where I was when someone's like, "Dude, did you hear about Metal Gear Solid?" And like, Metal Gear, who cares? And like, no, you have to see this. And living in this two-year print-based hype cycle of Metal Gear, like games can do that. I mean, we always wanted a game to do that, but this game's really going to do that. But it was also that era of like in the NES where like most everyone I knew just knew every single NES game that was available because there wasn't that many for the first couple of years. Mm. You just had to know like a hundred plus games and like, so everybody knew what Metal Gear was and it was nobody's favorite. Nobody loved Metal Gear uh, one or two at all. It, I'm yeah, not I saying don't it think had... I knew anyone who owned one. I think the only place I might have played one was a Nintendo. Uh, what were those called in the mall? The Nintendo kiosks where you got to. They just had a bunch of demos set up. I, I I bring up I feel asleep because like the first time I was over at my friend Sam's house, it was on last week's Laser Time. He's like, "Look at this misspelling I found in this game," and <laughs> that that's how long we've we've known each other. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, that like everyone had some awareness of metal. And those covers were pretty iconic. They are they have some great NES art. I'm not gonna pretend I had an MSX when I was fucking seven. And anybody out there who does will be banned immediately from the community because you didn't. <laughs> um but, well, but yeah, that like we we knew what Metal Gear was, we knew the name of the character, we either rented or played the game, and were all kind of baffled that anybody thought we wanted to follow up to this. So unless you were willing to read about this. Wait, what are they doing with it? Like, I do, honestly don't know why they didn't call it something else. And I guess they kind of did. Oh, you mean with, so- with just by adding solid when it came yes. back? Yes. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. Like, But solid, if you had to get specific, does sort of represent a certain kind of Metal Gear. There's a bunch of other Metal Gears at this point. Um, That's true. It's it's funny you mentioned the art because, I mean, the art, the reason you liked it is it's just a reproduction of the Terminator cover art, yep. or at least the one character from Terminator. He's basically... Um, Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese, thank you. I was going to say John Connor's dad. Mm-hmm. He's, he's doing the exact We're same pose. Right. And, and I, I was mentioning Kojima, you know, kind of styles himself as this 
he's you know this auteur and he he loves you know film and he loves music and he will chalk his, he will put his games chock full of references to pop culture such as can you hear me major tom <laughs> i don't <laughs> thank you snake <laughs> tell my wife i love her she knows. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that now we're just doing that bit from uh Venture Brothers. Brothers. Come on. Yeah, it's it just like, but I don't know. It's um I throw a ton of crap on Kojima, but he's he's pretty much a genius. He he saw I don't love a lot of things about Metal Gear, um, but it has too many I live through too many things that I watched at Pioneer. And I I watched it do things that no other game has attempted to try. And it's it is such a really good, that dude kind of saw where the medium was going. And I don't know the whole story of the original Metal Gear. It, there's not a lot of NES games like it. Um, but it clearly it, it's, it's working on that Jaws principle of like, well, we can't really show what we want to show. So maybe we can create an atmosphere of tension by avoiding conflict. <laughs> um, but, but yes, but still a, a brilliant understanding of the medium. And, I, I really wish I could take you back in time. Like I could, I could tie you to a chair and make you play games pre Metal Gear Solid for a week, and they're all garbage. None of them hold up. They're it's it's awful. And Metal Gear Solid changed everything. Yeah, I mean, he, games suddenly had stories, and they they could tell stories in a very cinematic way. And I think that's if if nothing else, I think that's what one of the biggest things Kojima has brought to the industry is. You know, we we can be just as good as movies. Now, look, the stories are convoluted, right? Like they they are, you know, f- trying to follow the ins and outs and the retcons of the Metal Gear series. Um, yeah, it's, no, I, it's a difficult I, task. I hate I kind of hate all the stories. They don't make any sense to me, but mm-hmm. it's everything else. It's well, yeah, and you got to admit he tells the stories with style and pizzazz. If totally. nothing else, like you don't you don't have to care what's going on. But God damn it, if it's it's beautiful while and you see and they're, it. they're great characters with great character design and and just the pacing, the puzzles. Just try and remember like how how easy it was to immediately understand that inventory system and switch between your gear with like the shoulder buttons, which like there was like a year where like either they used every shoulder button or nobody used any of the shoulder buttons on the PS1 mm-hmm. controller. Right. Um, it, it, I don't know. It was just, it's such an elegant use of that platform of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like the, it probably is the perfect PS1 game. Yeah. I think, I think it defines that generation for sure. Like when I think of PlayStation games, that is the first game that pops into my mind. Uh, and like you said though, I mean, because Kojima was such a big part of the success of that franchise, it is sort of sad to see it try to go on without him you almost wish, you know, if he's going to go on and do other things, that eh, let's just say goodbye to Metal Gear yeah. for a while. But let's put it back in, back to sleep. Make, make it go dormant again. He's going to attempt to make a game else. every 12 years until people stop paying him to do that. And- <laughs> right. But, I mean, let's let's wait maybe for another visionary who can kind of move this, move the medium forward or at least try new things like he did. But I hope um, that happens. Yeah, it's just a, it's one of those things. I think it's sort of an unexpected entry on this list because there are so many Metal Gear titles in the past 10 years that we forget or more, actually now it's God, it's more than 10 years. Now it's like the past 20 years um, that people do forget that there was a long time between those originals and then when Solid did come out. Uh, and then and, and what it did, I mean, what's great is this eventually did become a joke of the series is every time we saw Snake because yeah, Kojima would leave us hanging for quite a while, uh, but he would kind of we we 
we'd get a greeting and the greeting would always evolve and they would make it into a joke and play on it. But you would hear, you know, this is snake kept you waiting. Huh? Always kept you waiting and to the point. I think Kojima himself said it in Metal Gear five, like the character that was basically Kojima ended up saying it in. It wasn't the actual five. It was the uh, was it, which is the it was a ground zeros or which ground is like zeros, the big yeah. glorified demo. Uh, the yeah. forty dollar demo, cheap man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 pricing didn't last very long. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is that is our entry number five. I'm going to warn you guys right now for this next entry. Um, I'm going to have a lot to say about it because it's one of my favorite franchises in pop culture of all time. So with that being said, you have your warning. Here we hmm. go with number four. It's 2054, and the world has changed. Gone to hell, more like. It started when magic came back. The awakening, some call it. You're rubbing elbows with orcs, elves, even trolls these days. Meanwhile, megacorps bleed the world dry one board meeting at a time. They own just about everything. But not us. We're shadow runners. Mercenaries operating in the margins, working dangerous jobs for the desert and the powerful. Well, I, I guess the title's in there. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. I, I you know, I, I didn't know if you'd get it. Although I wouldn't blame anyone if they thought that was a promo for the recent Netflix series. Uh, was it uh, Bright, which completely <laughs> ripped off the premise of Shadowrun, which is it's it is a it's cyberpunk meets magic, and Bright no. even has an orc, which are one of the races in the Shadowrun it series. Sa- it sounded so, like we've watched it like three times, but someone sent us the unaired pilot for it was like called Precinct Nine. It was a Ronald Ron Moore's follow up to Battlestar Galactica, and it was set in a world where there was no technology, only magic. But like they drove cars, but the cars didn't have steering wheels. Instead mm. of shooting guns, the cops just hold up obelisks that shot shit out. Hmm. It starts with an intro. There's a what if science didn't exist, and you just see the Golden Gate <laughs> Bridge held up by fire. Uh, <laughs> it's it's such a ridiculous and watchable pilot, and stars like half the cast of Battlestar Galactica. Hmm. Um, what is it? It's Precinct Nine, it's, I think it's called. It's probably on YouTube. It's hilarious. Oh, are but, you sure it's not Brooklyn Ninety Nine? It just got canceled and then resurrected. No, or? hey, there you go. <laughs> but no, that's <laughs> no. It, it's got to be Shadowrun, right? So Shadowrun, yes, yeah, Shadowrun sort of works like that. And Shadowrun's on the list because it's actually had two resurrections uh, over the years. Um, so if you'll allow me. Sort of what you described is the premise of Shadowrun. It really is. <clears throat> it takes place in the year 2054, which is funny. The When I first started playing Shadowrun back in high school, uh, the uh, tabletop RPG, the years were earlier. And then as you know, as time has gone on, they've keep having to move back at the start date of when stuff happens in the Shadowrun universe. But it is a future where it's basically cyberpunk. Corporations have taken over. There's a thing called the Matrix where you can, you know, plug a machine into your head and 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 there's there's cybernetics and all the fun stuff that you would associate with like Blade Runner territory. But then they add this angle of magic on top. So there's been an awakening where um, basically long dormant uh, races like elves, trolls, dwarves, orcs, they're all awakened. Magic comes back into the world. Dragons return into the world. And so there's, you can have someone who is 
you know, they call them street samurai. They're like the fighters that use all the latest and greatest tech, you know, and they have like monofilament blades, which are basically like glorified samurai swords that can cut anything mixed with machine guns. And then finding next to them, you'll have a shaman uh, who's casting, who's summoning spirits. And then you'll have a mage casting spells and you'll have the big heavy troll who's kind of your tank who can take a lot of damage. And it's, it's, I love the universe. It's total cheesy. But what's great about Shadowrun is it's always, it's combined those elements with this layer of noir, which which is sort of a staple of, of kind of classic cyberpunk. You always have like this this layer of noir on top. But um, the reason this this is on here is 1993, the SNES game um, for uh, Shadowrun is sort of considered in some circles like one of the classic RPGs of the 16-bit era, you know, and then there was a 1994 version on Genesis that was really similar. They had a couple differences. Uh, the Genesis version actually did a really better job of portraying uh, the Matrix, which is, you know, the, the cyber world when you go in and in hack machines and all that stuff. And of course, because it was on Genesis, it had a terrible sounding soundtrack because of the FM synthesis. Um, but yeah, no, Shadowrun is just one of those those kind of... RPGs that people just talk about is hey remember how good that was. Well, it's, it's one of um, it's one of it's one of four good Western RPGs for the uh, Super Nintendo, but right, it's also right. it's also it was uh, uh, by the time it came out it was a longstanding uh, tabletop game or something like that's it, right. So that's was, what I started playing in high school was the tabletop game, and so I was imagine my surprise when one day I, I was browsing the local Blockbuster and on the shelves I saw a Shadowrun case. And of course I grabbed, I mean, I was into it, dude. I was reading like Shadowrun novels, you know, like the pulp novels they would sell at bookstores. So I, I, for me, this was like, oh my God, I'm going to play this no matter what. And then to, you know, imagine my added surprise when it was actually a pretty damn good game. It, it was based on one of those novels that I read. It was based on the novel, Never Deal with the Dragon, where you're kind of this guy who doesn't know he has magical abilities uh, wakes up uh, not knowing kind of where he is, and then he has to try to try to solve this mystery. And along the way, he does uncover his magical potential. Ultimately, ends up going up against a dragon, you know, which are like the most powerful beings uh, in the Shadowrun kind of universe. Um, so, and then if you played that game, you you should recognize this. One of the hallmarks of the Shadowrun series is it always had an amazing soundtrack. So it sounds a little bit something like this. Oh yeah, kick in the synth drums. Mmm. So it, I mean, it, it, you can almost Love imagine it. that being in like, it, it, it's very '80s slash early '90s sounding. It's like very like, Terminator, Metroid. Right, really good. The heavy synth soundtrack. You know, and yet you can imagine how terrible that would sound though on a Genesis coming out of a Genesis, <laughs> just like it was being ground to bits. Like, <laughs> um, so, but and, and actually, like I mentioned, there's there were there've kind of been two resurrections of the Shadowrun franchise. So. After that game, really nothing happened for a long time. Um, and then there was a 1996 Sega CD game that was only released in Japan. It was really interesting and in it had a completely different art style. It was like a manga style. But everyone had thought, well, that was, that was really cool, but it was one off. It went away until 2007 when a Shadowrun game was announced for the Xbox 360. But that game ended up being... A first-person shooter of all things, which really took people by surprise. They're like, "Wait, this is this is Shadowrun. This is a role-playing series. It's always been a role-playing series. What the hell? It's first-person shooter." Um, 
and actually it was it, the team that worked on it though it was it was the guys from fasa it's the same team that did crimson skies it was and actually the the and, uh, mech commander leader, i'm sorry yeah, and me- right. mech well, commander but, but mech they, warrior and this team though um it was it was headed up by jordan weissman who was one of the original creators of the Shadowrun tabletop RPG. So he's Yeah, it was well like it was like the this. gearbox situation of Duke Nukem going home and it kind of had the same results. <laughs> Weird. Well, yeah. It I would say if anything this game was sort of ahead of its time. So Dude, it was let crazy. Me know if it any has, of this sounds familiar. It has it was, Overwatch uh things happening in this first person shooter. It's very right. weird. It's a, it's a hero shooter. It yeah. has, you can, you choose different types of, of characters that have different powers. And so like one of the characters could like throw down healing spells. And this is all in a shooter. All the characters had these gliders that as they jumped, they could like glide from, from platform to platform. So there was verticality in it. Um, and then let me know if this sounds familiar. The big thing they pushed on its release was cross platform play between the PC and the Xbox right. 360. I forgot about that because we were all curious to see how that would play out and we couldn't because people didn't play the game. Right. And that's the problem. I mean, eventually they ended up needing it because the servers were probably so empty. If anything, I mean, it was it was an interesting experiment. It was cool to see some of, you know, my favorite Shadowrun things come to life. But it, again, in a shooter, it just didn't work. You know, the, yeah. one of the most notable things, again, because this series has always had great music was the soundtrack. So listen to this jam. This is uh, from from the trailer of the game, but this is some really good stuff. I keep expecting Kanye West to jump in anytime. <laughs> right? I know. God no, damn. so I mean, but what... What's cool about that, and if you know anything about Shadowrun, a big part of it is is when magic comes back to the earth. Um, all of a sudden, Native Americans who have been kind of you know pushed off to the side, they take back a lot of the parts of America that were originally theirs because they have a lot of shamans, and then they're they're very powerful in the Shadowrun universe. Um, and so you know, music like that, all of a sudden, they it, it kind of it does play very well. Although I think that was. That was probably some like Brazilian influence music or something, but it's cool didgeridoo. that it was different and unique, you know? I heard a didgeridoo in there somewhere. I, I wrote about this, my like not extensively, but I did a bunch of research on it. And I can't remember. It was for an article about that we called Death Rattle Games, games that killed the studio. Because uh, this, up until this point, like FASA was, every game of theirs was pretty great. And kind mm-hmm. of if you if you had the an Xbox or PC, you probably had one of their games. And... Uh, this did kill their studio, but it was also, it was that, or we wanted to do, um, a feature on what abandoned multiplayer servers look like. And I, I'll never forget firing up Shadowrun in like 2009. And because it's a first party Microsoft game, the servers are on, but no one's really there except for it. But it was like, there are people here, but it was like when you meet Robin Williams and Jumanji, like, <laughs> These people have been here unattended to with no human contact for like nine years. And I go in and start shooting like, whoa, 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 man, what are you doing? Uh, thought I was playing the game. Dude, get out of here. That's not what we do here anymore. Like the players had retaken over the servers and they're just hanging out and just making because you like grow trees and stuff. Uh, and But they weren't shooting one another, <laughs> but they had been left unattended for so long. It was shocking. I would come in there and play the game. <laughs> 
because they were just using it at, as this, this like fucking tree house. <laughs> I love when that happens with games that people think are long abandoned. And then, yeah, you, I mean, it's it's total creepypasta like uh, material where you go back in and there will be this whole other world going on that just no right. one has been paying attention. And it's a little little scary, a little creepy. Yeah, it's like that Thomas Middleditch character in Rick and Morty. <laughs> so as I mentioned, though, Shadowrun has actually had two returns. So after the mm-hmm. flop that you said, it, it really did. It brought it brought down FASA. Uh, it kind of split them up. Um, it, they kind of, you know, all split up. And then in 2012, uh, Hairbrain Schemes, which was the developer that kind of arose from the ashes of, of FASA, headed up by Jordan Weissman. And then um, the previous producer... Uh, I spoke to him at a PAX. His name's Mitch. He was he had worked on the shooter, and it's great. He has a real great sense of humor about it. He's like very apologetic. He's like, yeah, it wasn't what we wanted, but he he came back. They did a Kickstarter campaign for Shadowrun Returns, which That's is a right. turn-based tactics RPG um, that we released in 2013, pretty much to critical acclaim. People loved it. It was a return to form for Shadowrun. They even got the guy who did the music from the SNES game to come back and do the music of the series. It had much more of that kind of the, the a lot of the stuff that was missing from the shooter like none of the noir was there none of the feeling yeah. of you know hey I'm actually sort of a detective out here to find something that all got brought back and it made perfect sense more in this you know tactics RPG and and it, everything came back you know you had you had the the different races and you had magic and you had the you know the spirits and all of this stuff mixed with technology they even had you know little you could you could hack into things and you had your decker going in the matrix and doing all this stuff um and it was so successful, in fact, that they had two follow-ups since. They had Shadowrun Dragonfall, which takes place in like in Germany, uh, in the Shadowrun universe, and then Shadowrun Hong Kong. So these games, people love them. I I kickstarted Shadowrun Returns. I've played the other games. If you like turn-based uh, tactics games, they're super fun and super great. But what's great is it was a, it was kind of one of those feel-good stories of the creators got the rights to their series back and they released really it, cool. and the true fans loved it. That is really cool. That's a, that's, I think that's a success story, even if it's not a household name. I feel sort of bad because we've been geeking out. Elena, are we too nerdy with the Shadowrun stuff? Like, you know, it always it always won me over women before. It always worked before. Oh, well, I mean, I think you're married, so I need to be restrained. <laughs> you know, because I, I do know what a woman's wrath is like when someone encroaches on her territory. So I, I don't want to oh, court that. Oh. Uh, I'm just making sure the Shadowrun moves still work. You know, talk of Shadowrun, boy. It really does part the legs. (laughs) I'm just super quiet because, I mean, right now, so far, we've been talking about two franchises I never really touched. And so I'm just sitting here quietly stewing in my shame as everyone (laughs) listening to us is noticing this and judging me. I know it's happening. Uh, I'm I'm an (laughs) idiot. And Shadowrun was always too complicated for me on SNES. I liked the way it looked. I liked its setting. I liked its music. But I could never really wrap my head around it because my attention span is too terrible. Yeah, I'm not saying I beat the game or anything. I was sort of with you, Chris. I would always get a few hours in because I never bought it. I would always go rent it. I would get a few hours in and then, yeah, just get distracted or, you know, try some other more action-oriented game. But I loved it while I was playing, and it was it was nice to know it existed. Just right. like it's nice to know the next series made a comeback and exists again. Number three.
Oh, that is just it just that cheers me up just hearing that. Anyone was, know what that song was from? I was just about to say, is it is it possible to listen to that and not be happy? <laughs> I don't it's, think so. It's Kirby it yes. I uh, <laughs> it's it's failing me now. I'll be able to tell you everything about the game once you tell me what it is. Uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say how we used to pronounce it when I was little, and you guys can shame me and tell me I'm wrong. But this is a uh, kid Icarus or Icarus, if you will. Yes. And this kid. kid Icarus uh, is it was known in Japan as light mythology uh, Palutena's Mirror. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we got Kid Icarus. Yeah. It released in 1986 <laughs> in Japan and 87 in the US on the NES. Um, and at the time, it was a really unique, different game. It was it yeah. was a platformer, but it had lots of experimental kind of light RPG elements. Like you could kind of upgrade your characters in certain ways. It was developed by um, Nintendo's R&D One branch. Which, if you were listening a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the leader of that branch, that this is a Gunpai Yokoi joint. Um, and it was co-developed with Tosei. They, they helped in the programming. Uh, it was, at the time, it was really cool. It had a unique setting. It, it was, you know, based in Greek mythology, which not a lot of games were doing at the time. Uh, up until, you know, Kratos himself started tearing up that particular pantheon. Uh, and the game was known... If anything, it was really known just to be super difficult, like punishingly difficult, uh, almost to the point of just dickishly difficult. I, I thought it was, if it weren't for Ice Climbers in the original Mario Brothers, it would be the worst NES, first party NES game. But, hmm. <laughs> oh, Why do you say that? Because, uh, well, just because it's not, I remember I didn't think it was hard. I just thought like, this takes way too long. You can essentially, it has that, just that Mega Man system where you can indefinitely replenish your health and get through everything. But it just, it's too much of the exact same thing for a really long time. And I think what they had wanted to try to do, if I had to guess, was to make, what do you want to call it? A vertical scroller? You're not Mm, flying. It's not a top-down shooter. It's a, it is a side scroller, but you move up. Always up. Right, right. Yeah, And you don't fly. They say that to the fucking end. The, the only character with wings. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and the character you're talking about, you controlled a character named Pitt. And Pitt, kind of like Kid Icarus himself, he had these wings that they didn't really work. He couldn't truly fly. Let's say, uh, metaphorically, he got too close to the sun. And so, yeah, it was a platformer. I just remember the physics were super hard with the jumps. Like It was like, it was like he had a weight belt on. He would just like slam I mean, yeah. down. No, he was um, slow. He he jumped. He jumped. He barely jumped and moved really, really, really slow. I never right. found it hard. It's just like, this is not interesting enough to complete. Right. But it was one of the first NES games. You know, in 87, it's, it, we're just getting started there. Um, and this, I think, might be on this list, the franchise that went the longest with a break. So it did have a 1991 sequel on Game Boy, if you could even really call it that. Like, there, a few of these had handheld things mixed in, but, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the same. Um, and then it didn't, we didn't see the character or hear of him again. And no one, again, this is a perfect example of the series no one asked for. No one really thought of this series again until well, no. 2008. And oh, what, there what you go. would yes. make people think of this in 2008? Smash Brothers. That's right. Uh, Pitt made an appearance in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Um, and the director on that was was Masahiro Sakurai, who then also went on to direct the ultimately the, the follow-up to Kid Icarus in 2012 with uh, Kid Icarus Uprising, which was, was a really weird follow-up. It was like a 
it was an action shooter like hmm. this third person not on rails but it was it was the it was like a it's God, maybe insane. like space it, it always reminded me of like space harrier like that kind of shooter like the look of it you know it, it's insane that it, it's on the 3ds remember they had to release a third but like a peripheral that came with the game so you right because the controls appropriately it was infamous. If the first one was known for being punishingly difficult, this one was known for being punishingly difficult to control. Like you would get claw syndrome trying to control this thing. Mm-hmm. But and one thing I do have to hold against them. Let's listen to the trailer for this game. See if you recognize this line. Sorry to keep you waiting. What the hell, dude? Snake kept you waiting, huh? You can't steal Snake's line, kid. The hell, dude? It's one of those. uh, I think Shadowrun was also one of those things too. Like Microsoft. uh, Yeah, we're putting big money behind games. Gamers, tell me what you want. I heard the first guy say Shadowrun. Let's do that. And (laughs) and I think there was this cacophonous demand for Kid Icarus because, well. Only Ice Climbers, no one wants to see a sequel to. But Kid Icarus is okay enough that, like, why have you never followed this up? He's in Smash. He deserves another game. People were begging for this for years. Every E3 would be one of those things people would predict from 08. And it took five years to get it. And I remember playing it on the floor. My first, no, not my, at PAX. That's where I played it for the first time. Um, But, yeah, it was something everybody demanded. They didn't really get the version that they wanted because there was no version that they wanted. They just wanted a universe where Pit could exist because, like, think they fell back in love with them in smash right yeah it was i mean and there were there's a ton of other smash characters that i would love to see a return to the game uh how about ness you know how bring back some earthbound or mother some rob action yeah come on like this was a weird character to to bring back and then bring back and dude all I, all labo is is rob so just give me a <laughs> give me a labo rob cutout that's very true mm-hmm. now now that i think about that oh but yeah i mean this was this was another example of just like, hey, we're going to bring it back. And at least you give them credit. They did completely rework what the original game was. And it was a different thing. And so they were trying new things. I don't I wouldn't call this a huge success when it was brought back. I, no. I, I don't know, to be honest, how well it sold. I just remember there was a lot of hype for it. And then it came out. And maybe it was once they started to control it, people were like, oh, it just was one of those that was like, oh, it's OK. You know, I, I think this that game was just and it probably just sold OK enough where It'll probably go back in into hibernation. I, I don't see them chomping at the bit to to bring back more Kid Icarus. It was it was on the wrong system. I don't know why they chose to bring it on on 3ds. Like uh, that's a great point. I mean, yeah, that that's that happens with some of these too, where it's like when they do bring it back, they bring it back for well, not to call the 3ds a small platform because in terms of sell through, it's a, it's in a humongous platform. Yeah, but it's I'm just, just I something... just looked on Amazon. There are still 19 left in stock. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, it, just to that point, though, it actually makes more sense from business perspective that they would put it on the platform that has higher sell through. Yeah. Maybe thinking that they would get higher uh, reach that way. No, you're right. And there was no Wii U yet so that you couldn't get like a beautiful new franchise onto a, a system that wasn't really moving that many traditional games at that point. But right. it was such yeah. a traditional game. You have to see it that it the game comes with its own easel because it's kind of impossible to play with two hands. Right. Without, yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it was almost like yeah, Virtual Boy, Virtual Boy style, like easel to hold the thing up because it's just like you can't control it otherwise. Yeah, it's really, really, it's it's even difficult to describe. But like, yeah, it, it I love that it's still on Amazon right now. You can get it for full, like full S M S R P. 
Uh, well, of course, it, it I mean it's a Nintendo title. Like they don't right. put their games on sale. <laughs> they they don't they don't lower those prices, man. So uh, we were talking though about games that switch platforms. Speaking of a game, this the, our next entry sort of started on one platform, but I would say really became famous on the next platform. And here we go with number two. No. You gotta wait for it. Wait for those drums to really kick in. Yes! I'm ready to go kick some ass! Uh, if Ninja you were like style? me, you, you heard that a lot on the NES. I saw it a lot, I think. What are we talking about? Ninja Gaiden? We are talking about, yes, Ninja Gaiden, the NES nice version. Job, Chris. Yeah, good pull, Chris. Uh, well, so just, what just that was, like, was the intro to the game. And actually, one of the things the series became famous for is Ninja Gaiden has always been known to be this really cinematic series. Um, it, that It was one of the first NES games I remember that had really beautiful, extensive cutscenes. Not just when you beat a game. A lot of games would do that. They they throw you, kind of throw you a bone and give you like a nice JPEG if you beat the game. Um, but this series throughout, they had like acts and it had intermissions and and, and little interludes and, and little scenes between acts. It was, you know, talking about Metal Gear with storytelling. Uh, Ninja Gaiden might have been one of the first to really push that through all the way back on the NES days. Yeah, my my sister and I <coughs> used to watch the. Uh arcade attract mode at the movie theater just over and over again because it was so pretty mm. and it's recreated pretty decently inside the nes and if brett Alston was here he would say it contains one of his favorite nes sunsets because uh, I, 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 it's funny the second you mention it that the image of it pops into my head i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about it, it was like, it yeah, was part sunset. of the rules nintendo of america made back then it was that every game had to end with a sunset that is not yeah, true, but they all did. <laughs> they all did, absolutely. So you and then you talk about the arcade version. I saw the arcade version after the NES version, and I was shocked how different they were. And back in those days, you know, arcade that was like, hey, if you really want to see how pretty a game can be and how really it's meant to be played, you go to the arcade. But this was one of those cases where it was just a completely different game on the arcade machine like i think the first level had some similarities but then past that mm. totally totally different um just to take a step back so the ninja kaiden series is created by tecmo it features uh, a ninja ryu hayabusa uh, as the main protagonist and, and it usually revolves around uh this the dragon sword that is this family heirloom that's been passed down and and has this like evil twin blade and then when you get them together and there's all these things that basically is Demons come back, and, and Ryu always has to save the day. Um, in Japan, this is another one of those great names. It was known as, uh, a, let's see, Ninja Ryu Kenden, which means the legend of the Ninja Dragon Sword. So very literal translation there of, of the game's story into the name. Uh, and actually, if you listen to the spoiler cast of Michael and I, uh, we just did the God of War spoiler cast. We called it Apocalypse Gaiden, because Gaiden is a word that means side story. But in this case, there's no side story. Ninja Gaiden is the main series. There's this, this isn't the side story of anything else. It's not confusing at all. No, not at all. Not at all. But um, And then, but, I, well, to be even more confusing, the earliest games in the PAL region, so in Europe, they were known as Shadow Warriors. So, yeah, a couple on. different names there. Yeah. So, so the reason this is on this list, though, the original games, the arcade and the uh, NES game, they came out in 1988. 
there were some sequels. So 1990 saw Ninja Gaiden 2, 91 was 3. There was a couple other versions. There was a Game Gear version, a version for um, Game Boy. There was a Master System version of all things in 1992. Like, who the hell was playing Sega Master System in 92? <laughs> That's it. I was super pissed to find out there was a trilogy for the Super Nintendo. I never saw that in my life. Yeah, that was in 95, but that was just one of those. It was like Mario All-Stars. It was right. just, oh, here, let's take three games, put them on one disc. I don't even think it, it made the graphics pretty or anything. It was just a way to play all three stories. Which typically that would mean, hey, we're, we're, we're getting people ready for the next entry. The next entry didn't come. And the reason it's on this list is we had between 1995 and then 2004 with wow. the return of the Ninja Gaiden series, which came – now, here's a question for you guys. Do you remember which platform Ninja Gaiden in 2004 came to? I do. And, yep. And what was Say that? it, Leaner. Xbox. And only the Xbox. That, that's what was so weird. It, and because it's it's a Japanese developer, this, so that version was developed by Team Ninja, again for Tecmo, but it only came to the Xbox. And it was a huge marketing point for Microsoft. It was, hey, this game can only run on the Xbox because it's the most powerful hardware of this generation. Right. And they did it again when they re-released it. Like, well, Sigma can only run on PS3. And... and I don't know. For a while, like I think Michael, my, one of my first things to do when I worked with Michael was we interviewed the director and he was just like, no, we just wanted to go for the most powerful platform every time. That's what we want to do. Right. Well, Sigma is is actually, yeah, it's just a release of a re-release of that original game. Before that, there was Ninja Gaiden Black, which was, again, the Xbox version, mm -hmm. but it just included all of like the DLC mm -hmm. from that version. So it had, a, and, and I think there was a couple like difficulty options that weren't in the original because difficulty was a big thing this game was known for the originals back on nes were were hard but i wouldn't say any more difficult than a lot of nes games were at the time like they a lot of those games were, were tough to play through but uh the one on xbox was known to be hard it was also known to be extremely bloody and violent to the point that it got censored a lot in some regions because it was like it was like kill bill levels of gratuitous violence and bloodshed Dis dismemberment was in every press release in like the mid 2000s it was and a it was a feature of these games yeah they hyped the dismemberment like hey check it out look at all these limbs flying it was like uh neat i guess i don't know that seems kind of sad man mm -hmm. but uh yeah so so the team ninja like i said developed this game uh, Team Ninja also responsible for the DOA series of fighting games, which I love. I know a lot of people hate on them. It's basically rock, paper, scissors in fighting game form. Uh, but Ryu is featured really prominently in that series, as is um, Ayane is, is another character, a ninja character. She's from like a, I don't know if it's the rival clan of Ryu or it's it's kind of like the cousin clan of Ryu. But yeah, they're, they're both, they've been in a lot of DOA games. And so they kept kind of making those Ninja Gaiden games. Um the game itself was unique in that it made use of the Xbox's internet connectivity, which is, you know, not a lot of games did. I mean, Xbox was one of the first home consoles to have like an actual online solution, although Dreamcast had one too. And I, you know, props to the Dreamcast. Um, but they used that online functionality for like a competition uh, where there was a bunch of online contests that culminated where if you got, I think it was like playthrough times or scores you got. Then it, it, it was, they culminated at some big competition at uh, Tokyo Game Show 2004. So this was like one of the first esports games of all things. Wow. Wow. So this is another series. Um, I, I mentioned before 
Ninja Gaiden was was really known for its cinematics. Um, and the return in 2004 made was no exception to that as well. And we got classic scenes such as this. I see you have made it this far. I just love the little extra thing with the nunchucks there. Like, got to come back. So that is that is the first boss you encounter in the game. It starts with this fight. You ultimately sit down with this guy. Uh, and then, spoiler alert for a really old game, uh, he ends up being one of the big baddies at the end. And there's a lot of foreshadowing. When you listen to that speech, it's like, if you're paying any attention at all, you're like, oh, no, that's totally going to be the bad guy at the end of this game. Because he's like, oh, where's the dragon sword? It's a shame such a powerful sword doesn't have someone watching over it right now. <laughs> like, basically, put you know, doing a little steeple thing with his finger, like, <laughs> grinning and smirking. It's it's super obvious. That's great. Now, I've always I've always meant to replay these series. They were too hard for me at the time, but only recently have I gravitated towards game. Like Ninja Gaiden, it, it, it seems bizarre there hasn't been a follow-up it had three games, right, in that awful Yaiba game? That's, yeah. So there was a follow-up in 2008 with two. You mentioned there was like Sigma. What's weird is, so Sigma just, yeah, it skipped the PS2 generation, only came out on PS3, and looked beautiful on PS3. Mm -hmm. So then there was two. Uh, then there was Ninja Gaiden 3 in 2012. And that one really, I think, we mentioned the, the goriness and kind of the over-the-top dismemberment. I swear to God, like, Every five seconds in three, you would just see a limb fly across the screen. It, it was yeah. like to ridiculous levels. I remember it, that. <laughs> you remember? It was like the cartoon scene in Kill Bill, was it two? Uh, which is just like, oh, this is almost meant to be parody. It's almost meant to be funny at this point because it's so yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it went past the point of being uh, kind of gross or gratuitous to just being, you kind of get desensitized to it because it was just so <laughs> over the top. Don't let the censors hear you say that, Elena. We don't get desensitized. No, no, no. We always know it's serious and it's fine. But then, Chris, don't take yeah, my games mentioned... away. Don't try to regulate my <laughs> games. Don't take my, God forbid, don't take my games. Don't take my uh, games. But Chris, you did mention, I think the game that once again kind of yeah put the series back to sleep was uh, Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z, which came out in 2014. It, it That one doesn't feature Ryu. It, it features, I think, a ninja who's trying to track down and kill Ryu or he hates him and it had this weird, uh, not weird, it had this very unique cel-shaded style. Uh, it looked great. It didn't play so well. It got terrible reviews when it came out. It's on a lot of like uh, the 100 worst games lists out there. And so, yeah, you don't you don't put something like that out and then keep putting games out. That kind of put the series to sleep for the time being. But the, uh, the one good thing about the series right now that's current um, is that you can go back and play, I think, the uh, black version through uh, backwards compatibility. Really? Yeah. I would really love to give that a shot. Yeah, so if you have an Xbox One X, I think you actually can play it in 4K, I think. 4K. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, that'd be that'd be a good one to go back. I I think at the time I played through Gaiden Black a few times because I, you know, it's one of those things I didn't get a lot of games at the time, so I really wanted to get my money's worth. And yeah, I played it on several difficulties already. I think I've had enough time with that game. At the end of the day, I did figure out a way. There's a move that you can kind of cheese to really get through the whole game. It's like this really <laughs> powerful move. But it, it was still fun. I love it. It has awesome boss battles, really cinematic, just a fun series. I hope they do bring it back eventually because 
I love me some Ninja Gaiden. I've loved it since the NES days. It was one of my favorite games. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's sad to see them put a franchise to sleep. Uh, speaking of putting people to sleep, uh, the next entry in our list features an uh, enemy you fight known as the Sandman or Mr. Sandman that will put you to sleep. So here we go with... Ah, Punch Out. Mm-hmm. Punch Out had to be my number one. Yeah, Punch- and the reason the reason I put it here is it's still inexplicable to me why we only get one Punch Out game like every twenty years. Because yep. every time they come out, everyone loves them. They sell pretty well, and they're awesome. Yeah, it's a huge bummer because like I missed. I, I played Punch Out the Punch Out Wii a bunch in our office. And then it just fell out of print, and I like I bought a pretty expensive one. And they oh they re released it on Wii U. And I'm like ah, I'm not gonna buy that. I'm gonna wait till they put it on Switch, which I don't know if they ever will at this point because that game's really good, and I think the fewest people have played that. Um, but Punch Out, su- I loved that version of the game. So that's that was the big return. But let's let's go back to the beginning of Punch Out really quickly and just touch on you know Punch Out started in 1984 as an arcade game. It was just you know Punch Out. And then in 1985, there was uh, Super Punch-Out. And those were great games. Uh, not really the same as um, what eventually came to the NES in 1987, which was, we all probably knew it back then, as Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Yes. Um, and and then my reference, I, I'm sorry, I said Mr. Sandman, I, I think I meant Mr. Dream. That's who replaced Mike Tyson when they had to re-release the game in 1990 after quote-unquote losing the rights to Tyson's likeness, uh, but it also just so happened to coincide with his rape trial hearings. Uh, I don't know. It's a weird coincidence <laughs> how that happened. Uh, yeah. And I remember I was on uh, Retronauts where we talked about this, and one of my favorite uh, factoids about it is that like it's sort of the first time that Nintendo had hired animators to draw characters to then, to then retrofit into game via sprites. Whereas like Mario looks the way he does. You've all read those stories. His mustache is to give him articulation. He's like designed with to fit within a game to use what the game can do. But this was someone like a bunch of people drawing giant drawings and then putting it on graph paper and seeing how they could fit these drawn characters into a game that you could see whites of eyes, that kind of thing. And uh, I thought that was really cool about Punch Out and that I've, I, even I saw so little of the arcade version and the arcade versions I remember playing it when I was little in my local arcade, which was called, I want to say, the Goldmine Arcade. And you talk about those sprites. They were enormous. They were they mm-hmm. were probably the biggest sprites I'd seen at a game other than like uh, Dragon's Lair, which was the CD-ROM tech. I mean, this was it was like these having these big cartoons animated right in front of you. And that it, game, though, they were, it, they it were so played. big, they had to have two screens. They had to like almost take your fighter off yeah. the screen. There's it, it was the first DS was punch out. Punch it was versus. so big they had to make your character's body invisible. Like you were mm-hmm. basically just this little like mesh outline so you could see through your character to see these beautiful sprites for the enemies mm-hmm. that they'd spent a bunch of time on. Yeah, it's 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 so cool. This this series is so great, but like just that if you love Super Punch-Out, try and track down where you can play one of the arcade ones. They're hard as shit. 
Oh yeah, impossible. No, I, mean, I mean, it's arcade, right? The whole thing is they want to take your quarters and they want you, they want you to die. I also love the originality in the naming of the series. So the first arcade game was Punch Out. The second was Super Punch Out. The first NES game, other than Mike Tyson, was Punch Out. The second game, the SNES game, was Super Punch Super Out. Punch like out. really going out on a limb there, guys. And then the next version for Wii, which came out in two thousand and nine, was just called Punch Out again. Or Punch I'm out. sorry, Punch Out Wii. They had had the, the Wii moniker there. And, and also do yourself a favor. One of the best themes in video game history is the punch out theme. And in mm-hmm. uh, the the Wii punch out, they remix it for every ethnicity. And it's like the last <laughs> time Nintendo truly was like, everyone loves stereotypes, right? Cool. Bear Hugger's going to drink a bottle of ma- maple syrup in his ending. I was going to um, say, I grabbed all those clips and... The punch out, we've kind of joked before, it really is stereotype the video game, but it's not it's not necessarily racial stereotypes, which those are in there too, trust me, but it's it's more nationalistic stereotypes. You know, it's like, well, here's this guy from Great Britain, and of course everyone from Great Britain does this. Or um Glass Joe is super French in the Wii version. <laughs> like Yay. he's just like uh and then but you mentioned the the theme art. Now there is the main theme, um, which Kind of, you know, the one I played before, the reason I don't think we ever heard that on the Wii version is they straight up stole that from oh, yes. another theme. It is from the Gillette Cavalcade of Sports. <laughs> <laughs> right. They right. just ripped off that theme wholesale. So like when the Wii version needed a punch out theme, they just took the uh, training sequence and that became the punch out theme. Right. Oh, I think you're referring to this track. Don't hum any other version of this you heard on the internet. I don't want to hear any of that shit in the comments. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which you mentioned, you know, on the Wii version, they did rework it. And one of my favorite parts to the Wii version, they rework it for the training sequences. And this time, you actually get to hear Doc talk to Little Mac as he's training him. And it sounded something like this. Hey, great work, Mac. Now let's take down the next circuit. Quick feet, Mac. Quick feet. Work them, Mac. Work them. Left, right. Left, right. That's it, baby. Keep it up, Mac. Keep it up. And you have my chocolate bar, Mac. He mentions this chocolate bar constantly. <laughs> well, you it, heard him taking a bite right there after after talking yeah. to Mac. He's like, let's do this. Chomp. And I mean, he's just eating while Mac's training. Doc Blues um, was already so ill-defined, they didn't bother adding a single other piece to his character in the Wii version. Except there's commercials. I do love that. If you like The Wire, and all white people do, um, <laughs> the uh, what's the, congressman, the congre- congressman's name who always goes, shit... He plays Doc Lewis, and it was like right mm. after the wire, and it was so exciting. Doc Lewis, who got his own version of the game for Club Nintendo members, yeah, man, which was an fucked. exclusive, you could only get it this way, and it was basically sort of like a demo where you trained against Doc Lewis, but he was he was a fighter that you actually fought against, and it was, I think that might be the best Club Nintendo promotion of all time to get an exclusive yeah. version of the game featuring a character you would not expect to go up against. You would not expect, other than like. Do you remember who you, the the unlockable character at the very, very, very end of Punch Out we was? I don't. Who was that? Danky Kang. <laughs> That's I, right. Oh, I remember in a in a different world, like we were tipped off, let's say, from a friend a friend at a magazine called I'll just call it Schmintendo Schmauer. Um <laughs> ah, I yes, can't say their yeah. full name. 
But hmm. in a different world, not a lot of people were capable of streaming games. It took the world like a good week to figure out you could unlock Donkey Kong because it's really hard to do. Uh, but it was so cool. Such a fun reveal because they, they, Nintendo never mentioned that. And I, I even then I haven't I, I haven't even gotten to Donkey Kong organically. I mean, and there's one way I can guarantee you'll never get to it is if you played this game using the Wii balance board, which technically it supported. That's right. I mean, it's a part of the balance board and like the Wii and Nunchuck, the Wii, Wii remote and Nunchuck. Right, right. We, well, we Somebody had that reward me. I said ago. Wii remote. I said I did not say Wii remote, which Nintendo would always correct us on. It's not a Wii remote. It is a Wii dash oh. capital R remote. Capital R. Okay, good. Good to know. But if you listen to our episode a few weeks ago from um, Weirdest Nintendo Peripherals, the balance board we loved, but this is a classic example of, hey, let's take this game that's much easier to play by just hitting buttons and then make me do this series of super complex actions that are going to get me exhausted to play that game. But I, I mean, I would imagine it was a great workout. Mm. Uh, no, the, I remember the Wii um, sports boxing was one of the most one of the most intense things you could do with the yeah. um, with that pack in. Yeah, that one would. Uh, yeah, you definitely get rubber arms after trying that. You would just. Because you weren't really boxing when you played it. Everyone did the same thing. It was kind of like, you know, when you see in cartoons where they just start, or like brothers, they, they would basically just kind of like roll your fist and go as fast as you could. And it would recognize like eh, maybe 50% of those punches. And that's how you would win at Wii Boxing. But it was exhausting trying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's it, been our top five. It, I do want to give out some honorable mentions. It um, only, wait, one last thing. It only sucks. Okay. I know it's fake, but I saw a leaked. E3 Nintendo thing that had a Punch-Out sequel on it. And I'm just like, please, it, it, you could make another Punch-Out game. Easy. 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 Come on, I mean, next level. Yeah. I mean, so let's see. If we take this logic, we had, well, we had Punch-Out in 84, Super Punch-Out 10 years later in, I'm sorry, Punch-Out in 87 on NES, Super Punch-Out seven years later, 94. Uh, we got one in 2009. So it oh, looks God. like they're doing these logarithmically or exponentially. <laughs> so it must be, uh, let's see, tw- 2035 is when we're going to get the next punch out. Yep. You got to wait for the switch extra. <laughs> but now punch out in my mind, again, well deserving of number one and just mind boggling because I don't understand why they don't bring it back. Other than the one thing I can say, Super Punch Out was released here in 94. It wasn't released until 1998 in Japan. Huh. And that might, if you read between the lines, that might tell the story. So if games don't sell that well in Japan, or if they don't get a lot mm-hmm. of love from Nintendo Japan, they usually don't necessarily get a lot of love in general. And they might not spend a lot of time on those types of series. Uh, another one we might think of is Metroid kind of fits mm-hmm. that bill. Yeah, I, I, but I always give Nintendo credit. They tend to not, unless it's Kirby, <laughs> they don't release very frequent versions of any of their franchises until they find a cool cachet. Mm-hmm. And Super Punch-Out allowed them to bring the arcade characters and visuals over. We Punch-Out allowed for balance board and we remote like, what else can you really do? It's why they don't, they're not that interested in F-Zero. All they can do is make a hard racing game, which that's not really Nintendo's bag anymore. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I, there, there's lots of stuff I think you could try with this series that you could, you know, it's oh, never too. really been a boxing game. It's always just been a puzzle rhythm game at the end of the day. But why not throw in some actual 3D movement and kind of make it a boxing game? Because EA is not making those uh, Fight Night games anymore. There's there's stuff they could try if they really wanted to. Nope, nope. I don't trust EA to, yeah, come back to any of its franchises that I actually like. 
So yeah, speaking of other franchises, let's give some uh, some shout outs, honorable mentions, or dishonorable in some cases. Uh, starting with the number one dishonorable. Uh, this is a game you streamed and covered a lot in 2017, Chris, um, and it features everyone's favorite mouthy mascot, Bubsy, who came back in 2017. Bubsy the Wooly Strike Back. And again, I'm still not convinced that game isn't some part of some greater arg or like frog fractions meta thing because it's like <laughs> this is not a game. Why does this have a, a fifty dollar collector's edition? This it does th- seem like an elaborate tax write off from some really wealthy person. We, like, we hey, would, here's a way to lose twenty million dollars or whatever the hell that thing costs. We to would make typically market. stream for an hour and we beat the entire game, all of its contents, in forty minutes for a full price game. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, but and the, the reason that though, I mean that the previous Bubsy game was Bubsy 3D, and that was all the way back in 1996. So 21 year uh, delay between versions there. But I really don't want to spend much more time talking about Bubsy. How uh-huh. about one that I think this one's unusual in that it had to come to a new platform. So Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts was released in 2008 mm-hmm. um, after Microsoft had acquired Rare. It was eight years after the last main Banjo Kazooie game, um, and you know five years after a GBA game, but. That one, I think, is worth calling out just because we didn't think Banjo-Kazooie was coming back because Rare got acquired by Microsoft, and they did bring it back in on an all-new platform, which I'd imagine rights-wise must have been a little difficult, or might have been a little difficult. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking the same thing when there was that news story uh, last week about the Nintendo 64 trademark being refiled by Nintendo, so you might be getting an N64 Mini, and it's like, oh, oh, you can't have any of the Rare games. Mm-hmm. That is like That is like... It's almost like a third of the reason I'd be interested in owning this thing. Well, and we already had Rare Replay a few years right. ago, so we have a really great right. way of playing those games. I'd like to play them again on that stupid fucking battering controller. <laughs> so oh, uh, another series worth mentioning, but again, it's a dishonorable mention. Star Fox with Star Fox Zero, which came out in 2016. Uh, that was It had been a long time since the last Star Fox, which was Star Fox 64 in 1997, if you don't count, there was Star Fox Adventures, which was that weird R- RPG for GameCube, Another and then Star one. Fox Assault, which wasn't made by Nintendo. So that was, I don't really, I mean, yes, it was a ship combat Star Fox game, but maybe not in the main line. And again, very, 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 still very big gap between when that came out on GameCube and then Star Fox Zero in 2016. Another franchise that probably won't be back anytime soon, given the performance of Zero. Although who knows, you know, it's a Wii U game. And it hasn't made its way to Switch yet. Maybe? Well, one one I, I thought we were going to talk about, but maybe didn't bring it up because we talked about it last week, was Near Automata. Uh, that is a great example. I didn't even think of it. But yeah, yeah nobody was asking for right. another Near. That's so true. And I guess I didn't think of it because I know that they're technically sort of, they're in the same universe right, and they yeah. share lots of themes. I don't know that it's a well. I guess it is a sequel. It's a sequel that's supposed to take place. I want to say thousands of years later, at the very least, hundreds of years later. And there yeah. is one character that is shared between the two. Yeah, that dude totally just didn't didn't even come to mind. But you're right. Like that would absolutely have qualified. But one game that wouldn't qualify because the return hasn't technically come out yet is Psychonauts. Hmm. So Psychonauts hmm. was at came out in 2005. Uh, this is Tim Shaver's Double Fine Studio. Everyone loved that game. Um, but it's one of those games, I don't think it's sold particularly well, at least on its first release. Uh, since then, it's been released in so many different ways. So many people have it. I think they made their money back. They're fine. Um, there was a VR game 
the Rhombus of Ruin, uh, that recently came out. And there is an official sequel in the works, but right now that sequel is currently slated for next year, for 2019. So, you know, after that, it would qualify. But I just love the fact that there's another Psychonauts game coming, and I figure it's worth mentioning. Michael had one other suggestion that I really loved, um, but I there was kind of too many side things going on to make it count, and that was Rayman. Oh. So, yeah, so Rayman 3 was all the way back in 2003. And then we didn't get another wow. true Rayman game until 2011 with Origins, you know, but people don't necessarily right. remember that because there were so many like Rabbids games in the meantime and Rabbids are technically part of the Rayman universe. There were there were Rabbids games that I if I had to guess, I know I know cuz I bought it, it was Rayman 3D was a launch 3DS game, which is just a port, but um it was one of the cheapest games you could get on the 3DS when they only had like eight full price games. So I think it introduced a new generation of Rayman to where they felt more comfortable making a new game. Yeah, and Rayman 2 and 3, uh, I don't know that a ton of people played those, but they are classic platformers. They're really good games, both of them. Uh, one, eh, this is a little early, but uh, 2 yeah! and 3. What? <laughs> what? Let's fight. <laughs> oh, get him, Leaner. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Wait. <laughs> What did I do wrong? What did I say? Oh, man, I love the original Rayman way more than the sequels 2 and 3. Really? Really? I just did, I, yeah. I just did his fanfare. Did you recognize it? Hmm? Yeah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so weird. Well, he screams right, like Dan Cortez. Cre- I just have very fond memories of playing, was it 2 or 3 on the Dreamcast? The Dreamcast two. version was the, the best version of, the, of that particular game. I don't know. I just I had problems with some of the camera angles in 3. Really, really didn't dig that. Does that mean you were mm. a Jaguar player, Leaner? No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you play one on? What, what did you play one on? On PC. Okay. And, and that, hmm. that is what again? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, what is this PC of which you speak? This P- it's a thing PC? that runs things. Weird. Weird. <laughs> this is really this is really strange for me because um I was actually on a podcast earlier today um at work and all my coworkers, all PC gamers, so I get nothing but shit from them constantly because I play <laughs> on console. So this is a very mm. weird thing to have it happen in reverse right now. Yeah, I'm not sure where ends. I am I in space and time. Technically, Chris and I both us play on PC as well, but I I my default tends to go toward console. But no, not, you're not you're absolutely years. right. <laughs> So that's been our top five uh, games that, let's call them dormant games that came back from the dead. I think what I'm going to call it is the top five comeback kids. You know, it's games that made a comeback. Um, So question of the week. Tell us about your favorite game series that came back from the dead. You can answer the question of the week at the official Laser Time Facebook community or at vigigameapocalypse.com under the show notes for episode number 266. Let's go out with some plugs. Uh, Elena, you're the guest, so how about you tell us where we can find you? Um, I am at Morphing Ball on Twitter. Um, right now, I'm not really doing anything all that interesting just yet. I have a couple projects coming up that I can't talk about. Um, Come on, talk I- about... Uh- <laughs> but um so was it like two months ago i don't remember mm-hmm. now where i was talking about that rgb pc build that i was doing for work yeah, well, I, xbox one x beater no that was in november um this oh, is bad. just a project i did for work where i decided to try to stuff as many things with rgb lights on them in a pc case <laughs> and just see how i could do with that it's beautiful okay. because i okay. love horribly you know 
neon things, apparently. Sounds like a really expensive light bright. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is. I think uh, given the current prices for RAM, that thing, and given how much I stuffed in there, that thing was like $2,500 priced Please out. tell me work paid for that, right? That's a work? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a work project. Um, <laughs> but I finally finished it, like you know, cleaned up the cables, you know, ran the benchmarks. We were going to do that kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah, so, we totally know. We know exactly what you're talking about. Totally, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm nodding. Totally. Yeah, no, so I posted pack? that to my Twitter account. And the, the thing that I'm most proud of is this random uh, Easter egg or extra in the final video that uh, my coworker and I did. So I'm going to have fun with okay. that if you want to watch it. Now, would you Where be would available to fly down to Tallahassee to help Chris with his computer problems? Uh. Wait, one more time? <laughs> Uh, I'm just saying, you know, you know, Chris has been having some trouble after the move. You know, maybe you could help with some putting some of his computer stuff together. Just saying. I mean, if he's willing to talk to me about it, sure. But sometimes <laughs> I feel like Chris doesn't like talking to me because I don't know how to smile. What? <laughs> oh, that's not what I think at all. I just don't use Twitter. <laughs> oh, Lena messaged me two months ago. <laughs> Elena, are you like Shawn Michaels? Did you lose your smile? Um. If I you don't have to you, get that reference. There would be You're not required. Consequences. I'm sorry. Everything in my life is a wrestling reference, and I know that no one gets it, but that's okay. Uh, Chris, do you have anything to plug? Well, yeah. Um, yeah, we got an all-new episode of Laser Time this week. An all-new episode of 30, 20, 10, where we look 30, 20, and 10 years ago back into the past. I want to just a shout-out to uh, a couple, like last week, I think. Mass Effect was freed from Xbox 360 exclusivity, and that's weird to think about. That before ea acquired bioware that xbox like microsoft was the publisher of the first mass effect so if you had a playstation one you were fucked for years and if you had a pc you were fucked for a year about mm. um it, it one of the one i think is one of the finest franchises of the last generation i just i forgot how exclusive it was for a little while there yeah um, we talked that, about it on last week's episode actually mm-hmm. that came up oh okay my bad and uh and and then Patreon, baby, Patreon. We got, uh, we just had Diamond Dog, uh, Dave Poole Rudden talking about Deadpool two. Uh, we saw that. I uh, got a new episode of Bonus Time and a bunch of new fun stuff coming your way uh, on Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. There's over 100 movie commentaries there and a weekly, fr- a weekly ad-free, uncensored uh, podcast just for our patrons. Thank you so much for your support. Speaking of the Laser Time Patreon, uh, Michael Raparez and I uh, recorded a spoiler cast for God of War that is exclusive to Laser Time patrons at the $5 or above level. And basically, when we say spoiler cast, we mean spoiler cast. We completely break down the game, uh, spoil all the plot points, talk about Norse mythology and how the game really, you know, kind of turns that on its head. We had a great time. It's a brand new format. Uh, we're calling it Apocalypse Guide-In number one. We want to do more of these. And we can do that with your help if you go support us at patreon.com slash laser time. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. Write a review, tell a friend. All of that helps more than you think, folks. So please do that if you haven't done so already. You can follow the show on Twitter at VG Apocalypse or me personally at Maddie C. Allen. As always, all thoughts there are bad and my own. That's been this week's episode of Vigigame Apocalypse. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't hate the player or the game.